Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On. I'm your host, Max Chad. We've got a very, very special guest today. That is Josh Pate, uh, host of The Late Kick and also a national college football analyst for CBS and 24-7 Sports. Josh, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. How about this professional studio setup? Off the light over here, it's it's wonderful. I'm in my girlfriend's apartment right now too. Yes, yeah, so I, I got it's a pretty terrible studio for me right now too, man. But I, I really appreciate you coming on. The first question I want to ask you, Josh. I know you know I actually talked to you a little bit at the combine, but for a lot of people who look at you and say, "Hey, that's where I want to be when I get older." How did you get your start, and what advice would you have for people wanting to get into the business? Well, love it. Love what you're covering. Love what you're talking about. Don't make it a means to an end. And um, two, two of the best pieces of advice I got to, to break down a five-hour story in about two or three minutes is if you can find like talent and passion on one axis of your life, and then you can find, well, actually talent and passion are the two axes, axes, whatever in the world the plural is, where, where they overlap, like that's where your career should be because that's how you make sure that you don't really have to work a whole lot. And if your talent and your passion overlap over sports, you know, if you can talk about it well and you can articulate thoughts and you can attract an audience and you can command people's attention, uh, then absolutely pursue it. The other thing is the other piece of advice I got was don't ever be don't ever be intimidated by how saturated the market is. Don't be intimidated by how crowded the field is. All that means is you have to create another lane. That's the same with any traffic jam you've ever been in. If another lane all of a sudden just emerged, boom, you could go 100 miles an hour and they're standing still. And so the traffic kind of disappears if you create your own lane. Well, in college football forever, in, in my lifetime, it was I've got about two or three networks that I could tune into and get widely distributed college football coverage. Well, then the Internet changed things. Streaming changed things. Uh, streaming on platforms changed things. And that was kind of a Berlin Wall moment for a lot of us who were never going to get the classical entry point to I work for CBS. CBS was never going to hire me in the classical way. And so you got to beat down the back door. Well, you can't beat down the back door if it's not there. All of a sudden it's there. So you got to open it. And at that point, you just got to be you and, and hope that pays off. I, me being an artist, a painter, I would suck being me as a painter. So it's not always going to work out. Fortunately, in this industry, it's worked out. Absolutely, man. So talking about some on-field stuff right now, this isn't really isn't an on-field storyline, but it's the biggest story probably in college football. The Pac-12 media deal, it should be announced very, very shortly. We already know USC, UCLA, Colorado, they're already confirmed leaving the Pac-12. Other schools are talking about leaving the conference as well. How do you see this ending for the Pac-12 conference? Not well. I don't. I, I try to paint a scenario where it ends well. I don't see that. Now, Folks misunderstand when you say that and they say, what you say, the Pac-12 is not going to survive. Yes, it will survive. The Mountain West exists right now, but the Mountain West is not known as a, a power conference. Now, you're talking to someone who watches it all. So I'm not speaking pejoratively of any of these conferences, but there's a reality. We understand the tier system in college football. It's just that we're probably either teetering on or have already fallen past the point of power five ceasing to exist. And so you're, you're headed to a world now that, frankly, a lot of us feared, a lot of us who don't love the expansionist model for the playoff, at least in my shoes, don't like it, not just because of the playoff. I never liked it because I always thought it was attached at the hip with a lot of these other things that were going to happen. And they're happening right now. I never thought there was a world where you got the expanded playoff, in other words, and this kind of stuff didn't follow. And so they call it a slippery slope because once you start falling down it, you can't gain your footing. You can't gain your traction. You can't yell, all right, what do we do now? You just keep falling. And then you find out 
what's at the bottom of the ravine? Is it is it three or four conferences? Is it just three? Is it just a super two and then everyone else? I actually don't know the answer to that yet because I don't think anyone does. Absolutely. And not only the Pac-12, but there's been talks around the ACC too that, you know, schools like Florida State might be unhappy with their current standing in the ACC. Clemson could be looking at a move too. Do you think that the ACC could be in trouble in the near future? Yeah, there's no doubt they're unhappy. So those aren't even rumors. Those are just facts. The only question in the room is, what can they do about it? Mm -hmm. And you know, that, that again, that's a story that's going to be told one day, however this turns out. And I think we'll all find out if you read the timeline of the story once the facts come out, and it's, it's August 1st right now, you'll find that what the real set of issues and circumstances were behind the scenes on August 1st, we didn't even know a fraction of. And so you'll think to yourself, wow, even the people who guessed right couldn't have possibly known. They just happened to guess right. It's like predicting a coin flip or something like that. I think so, so my personal feel, not knowing the particulars, is yes, action is coming. I do not believe the ACC is going to look the way it does now in 2036. That's when that grant of rights deal is up. Yep. Like I think there's no way that happens. But at the same time, I'm not the one qualified to tell you how it's going to work. I just know I've spoken to some legal minds that have a, how should I put this, an affiliation with this matter. And they, they firmly think there's a way to to get out of that in many ways to skin the old legal cat so to speak and i think they'll end up getting something done i don't know if it's going to be this week or this month or this year i think action will come eventually though absolutely so i'm a huge fan of your show i'm also a big fan of your twitter one of my favorite things that you do on twitter is say when i'm college football commissioner i'm going to do this what would be the first thing that you would do if you were say elected commissioner of college football It'd be a busy day one. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't like the lack of transparency in college football officiating. And I'm not someone who runs around yelling, nationalize this, nationalize that. But if that's what it takes in college football, if it takes a nationalized officiating core instead of just the conferences deciding it, I would like that. Uh, I, I don't like turf. I don't like neutral site games in the regular season. Not a big fan of either of those, although I know the turf is necessary in some portions of the country. Uh, our title game should never be played on a Monday night. And the reasons they give have nothing to do with me and you. We don't care about TV ratings. Why would you and I ever say, well, you can't do that. The TV ratings would drop. All oh, the ad revenue share would drop. It doesn't matter. And by the way, that's a little side note. I would issue citations if I were college football commissioner, and this really gets icky, but I would issue societal citations to fans who start bragging about their media rights deal for the conference and money that will never find their way into their pockets, yep. TV ratings that will never impact you. Like, don't be hating on Kentucky versus Louisville at the end of the season because it's not going to garner the same attention that Ohio State Michigan is. If you like the game, watch the game. So these are some of the things that just float around in my mind. Also, I would love to rework the college football calendar. I'm not just talking about mm -hmm. early signing day and stuff like that. I'm talking about the fact that we don't have any business watching Texas A&M and Oklahoma State schedule a 2029 game. You should be finding out who you're playing that fall in the spring of that year, and there should be schedule releases. I would love to release your out-of-conference schedule before spring practice or conference before spring practice. I would love to bookend spring practice with schedule announcements. That would be wonderful. And if the coaches complained, I would just put their pay stubs in their face.
Absolutely. I love all of those. But uh, a school that I am a huge fan of, I know Dave, you know, you met before is a huge fan. He actually went to that school. I think Michigan, Josh, might be the team that could win it all this year, break Georgia's, you know, two-year streak right now. Do you think the Wolverines have what it takes to not only win their third straight Big Ten title, but eventually get over the hump and win it all this year? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think people remember the Georgia game. I don't even think they go back to the TCU game. I think people can square that. They understand how turnovers work in college football, and they think to themselves, wow, Michigan should have won that game, whatever that word means. And then if they go play TCU – or at, well, they actually play TCU, so I don't know who they would have played in the title game. I guess Georgia. But that's why people's mind goes back to Georgia. Because two years ago, that was where the physical mismatch was on full display. And that was where the old adage, you're not going to out Georgia, Georgia, started popping mm-hmm. up on my show because that's, that's kind of what I watched down there in Miami. So I think that the misnomer is there's this grand Canyon between any team that gets blown out by another team. And sometimes that's the case. There's not a grand Canyon between Georgia and Michigan. Georgia's got a superior roster. They absolutely do. And I'm not going to deny that, but the way football games play out, the same two teams could play again, and it's 27 to 23. Maybe the same one wins. It just that's mm-hmm. the way the sport works. We score in threes and sevens. The ball's not round. It's just <laughs> crazy stuff happens. And so, um, yes, I do. Like, I've seen some argument on Twitter lately about which teams are capable of winning a title, not just making the playoff. I, I don't know how you leave Michigan out of that conversation. I'm not a believer that someone has to have done something for me to think they can do something. And I know the argument against Michigan, like people don't think they have the top end firepower. They don't have the top end elite sized roster. I just, I think they're good enough. Whatever good enough is, I think they're good enough. But obviously the Bulldogs right now are are the favorites to three-peat, which hasn't happened since like Minnesota before the Great Depression. Like, do you think- who can forget those teams, by the way? Some great great players in those teams. Yeah, I watched some Minnesota 1934 tape the other day. But uh, what do you think about, do you think Georgia right now is the favorite, the team that you would pick if you had to make a national champion prediction right now? Um. No, it's not where I lean right now, but I don't do this until late August for a reason. Like I don't, th- I don't feel very informed in early August mm-hmm. because I, I know we don't get games in August, but you get some really good intel. If you know who to talk to, you get some really good intel from fall camp. And mm-hmm. that's the kind of place, like for instance, I sit down with Kirby Smart two weeks ago and I ask him, well, what, what's the biggest potential red flag? He said, I don't know if our pass rush is where it needs to be. Like, I don't know if our interior pass rush, if we can get the push that we've gotten in years past. And he's a big believer in generating pressure from the linebacker position. Like, so I'm, I'm looking at him saying that. And then I look at preview magazines and there's this thing that happens, especially if you win back to back. People just think you're, you're invincible. Mm-hmm. They've done it with Bama before and they're doing it with Georgia right now. And the fact of the matter is, if, if I did nothing more than change the trajectory of a field goal kick at the end of their semifinal game, they lose and they're not a repeat national champ, and they'd be the same team coming into this year, but people would talk about them completely different. So if that's really the margin between unbeatable and just with the rest of the tier one pack, I don't think you're unbeatable. And I talked about the Bama teams the same way, and I talk about the Clemson teams the same way. So with Georgia, I just have this scenario in my head. They should be favored. If I ran a sports book, they'd be my favorite. But there's a scenario in my head that I play out when you when you look at their schedule and it's hard to find a loss. I play the what if game. How would it happen if it were to happen? And what Kirby said is reality. I don't even go to quarterback. I think Carson Beck's good. I think he'll be yeah. fine. 
I, I think their wide receiver room, even after losing A.D. Mitchell, is as deep as it's been since he's been there. So I don't worry about the stuff most people would worry about. I think about what he said about generating pressure on the quarterback, and if it's only pretty good by Georgia standards, I think about them going to Knoxville in late November. And I think about what it means to not be able to pressure a Tennessee quarterback. Because I was at the Bama game last year. I saw that. It, it was violent. And you could have a Georgia team that's just undefeated, but they're winning games in a way that makes the fan base go, okay, I'm glad we won, but man, I think we could have squeezed a little bit more out of this game. And then they get to the end of the year, and you've got a losable game the second to last week of the season, and then you got the SEC championship game two weeks later, and you could have like a boom, boom, and all of a sudden, Georgia's not even in the playoff, and people are going, what happened? They were ranked number one all year. What happened? You've seen that happen with Bama with the Auburn game late in the year, a time or two. So it's not my prediction by any stretch. I'm just saying if it were to go wrong for Georgia, if they were to merely fall back to earth a little bit, I could see that. You're never going to see me coronate a team as an overwhelming preseason anything when I've never seen your quarterback take a starting snap. That's completely fair. And you can tell me to screw off with this question right here. I know you might want to save this for your actual show, but can you tell me which way you're leaning right now for the national champion pick? I actually don't have a lead. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you to screw off. I'm going to tell you, ask me again in a few weeks. That would be the more appropriate response. I really don't. I, I, I changed my habit on this a few years back. Um, folks at CBS hate this. The folks at 24-7 hate this because they want the graphics and they want the articles ready to go. And I'm like, I, I actually want to be right. I want to try and be right. Okay. I don't care about the traffic as much. I want to be right. And I don't know anything. No one, nothing's changed since spring ball. And half the time you don't even know what to make of spring ball. The, the feedback I get from fall camp is worth its weight in gold to me. And so I don't even start formulating how I think a pecking order is going to end up, especially at the top and the playoff and stuff like that until second week of August. I want to get through at least one scrimmage in fall camp with everyone and because I've got like little boxes that I want checked, I got questions I want answered, and sometimes they don't get get answered. But like if I if I'm leaning Ohio State to win the title, let's just say, but it's contingent on Cal McCord not having turnover issues and that left tackle from San Diego State looking like the real deal. Yeah. Well, it would greatly help me to have that verified after their first fall scrimmage up there. And if I if I get shaky feedback then all of a sudden, well, maybe it is Michigan's to lose. That's that's a hypothetical, obviously. But you can say the same thing about Bama's quarterbacks. Uh, you can say the same thing about Texas defensively. Like, you can say the same thing about a lot of folks. Absolutely. So I, I was going to mention Bama quarterbacks, too, because a, a tweet that I love of yours as well was when someone asked, what three people would you want to have dinner with? And you said, uh, Jalen Moreau, Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner. All three are embroiled in a big quarterback battle right now in Alabama. Do you think like that is what can hold the Crimson Tide back? Because I see a lot of people putting Alabama up there with Georgia once again. And I think that's a lot of just trusting Nick Saban to get back to his old ways. But I'm in the camp of, man, they were so reliant on Bryce Young putting out fires for them last year. What is it going to look like when you don't have this the best quarterback in program history? What do you think about the Crimson Tide, specifically their quarterback situation heading to next year? Well, you're not saying anything Nick Saban didn't sit there with us and say last week. And at SEC Media Days, whenever that was, he said, we were way too Bryce reliant. Mm -hmm. and that's just – that's him taking as direct a shot as his offensive coordinator as you're ever going to hear Nick Saban take. <laughs> um, I've gotten a feel from them that, that goes back to the spring, really, when everyone was talking about their coordinator hires. 
And look, Bama fans now. So Bama fans want to defend Kevin Steele and they want to defend Tommy Rees. And I, I'm not really here for it. I got no problem with those guys. I'm just saying if I were to ask my Bama friends, and I got plenty of them, if I asked my Bama friends last October, what do you think about Tommy Reese? What do you think about Kevin Steele? They would have trashed both of them. They would have they would have not have spoken glowingly about either one. Then all of a sudden, because you hired them, uh, they're they're they're, they're going to reinvent the wheel there at Alabama or just put the wheel back on at yeah. Alabama. No, it's not that. And you'd ask about the quarter position or quarterback position. It's not being reliant on the quarterback position either. I think having the situation be as murky as it is at quarterback is all the more incentive not to be as quarterback reliant. I look at their offensive line. I think Eric Wolford two years ago was a phenomenal hire as their O-line coach. They love him. They think they sucked at evaluation. The past two guys that they had in there, Flood and Marone, they don't, they just think they were whiffs in terms of hires. And Wolford is not that. And they've got studs on the offensive line. They got three or four of them, I think, that will be first day draft picks when they eventually come out. And the center, Dalcourse, played as long as Sean Clifford has at this point, basically. <laughs> so They've also got really good talent in the backfield. It's just that they don't have that classical preseason Heisman conversation kind of guy. But they got some really good guys back there. I think they'll just go sledgehammer offense. And the feel I've got from them is I think Saban feels if he can get that and he has his team just wired the right way mentally, I think he feels he can win with any of those quarterbacks. I think he feels he can win with about 30 different coordinators on either side of the ball. That's how he's always felt. Now, it would make him sound like a D-bag to say that publicly. So he would never say that publicly. Um, now, here's the follow-up. Just because someone feels that way doesn't mean it's going to pan out. Uh, Nick Saban's not perfect. No one's perfect. So he could feel that way and be dead wrong because the other, the other side of that coin is if I gave you like a pie chart and you were talking about the percentage chances of something happening, I don't think we've seen a year where there's a higher percentage chance Bama is a three-loss team than we've had this year. Now, there's a chance they're undefeated as well, but that low-end risk is normally pretty low with them. It's normally a really, really high ceiling, a pretty high floor. I think the team's got high ceiling. I just think the floor is a little bit lower than we're used to, which makes Alabama, um, in a rare case, one of the most unpredictable teams in college football this year. Absolutely. And another school I wanted to talk to you about was Florida State, who I consider going to be that team that makes a jump from great to, to playoff contender. I think Jordan Travis is going to end up winning the Heisman Trophy this year. Do you think all the hype surrounding the Seminoles right now is real and Florida State can get back to the college football playoffs since they haven't done it since they had Jameis Winston at quarterback? Yeah, I, the hype's real. Yes. I want you to do something. It's very unprofessional. So if let's just say I'm on the fence. Mm -hmm. I want you to sell me on Jordan Travis Heisman. That's the first thing. Okay. And then the second thing is when I look at the FSU talent roster and it's still a notch below the other big boys, even with the portal additions, still a notch below. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to do the full on opposing fan detractor point of view. If you look at the late season surge last year, it wasn't against anyone with much of a pulse. So how do I really know that that should translate into this year? And they're all of a sudden going to be able to beat the LSUs or the Clemsons, or at least go one and one in those two games in September. How, why do you feel so confident in them? I am super confident in Jordan Travis, first of all. I mean, I think he's, he was the highest graded quarterback for PFF last year in the Power Five. I mean, he is not only does he take the big shots and complete them, I mean, he doesn't make any turnover-worthy plays either. You mentioned before, I mean, they got Trey Benson coming back there, who might be the top running back in the draft. That receiving core is stupid good, especially now 
uh, with Keon Coleman transferring and the defense, Jared Verse comes back. They got stars all across the field, Josh. So I, I'm I'm actually interested now in seeing why you think you know maybe the hype is a little too much for the uh, the Seminoles. I don't. I'm on the fence about it. Don't put words in my mouth. I'm just on the fence about it. No, I um. So what what I always struggle with is if if you have one of those late season surges and and the worst one is when you just have a good bowl win. Like mm-hmm. this is happening with Joe Bolton right now at Tennessee. He has a good bowl game. If he just had a poor bowl game, like one four quarter sample of him, uh, people wouldn't think fractionally of him what they think of him this coming year. That doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means, whoo, that's a small sample size we're working with. Well, with FSU and with any team like that, when, when they're still on the come, when they're still climbing, and then they have a little late season surge and they benefit from some inferior competition. And my eyeballs tell me, hey, that roster's good, it's improving. But it is not Clemson yet. It is not LSU even. I always hesitate to just start like casting my lot over there with them. I'll believe in them, but I don't want to tie myself to them. Because look, you're talking to someone who predicted Iowa State to go to the playoff two years ago. So I'm burned a little bit. Like I know how this feels. And I just don't want other people to feel the way I felt. Because those graphics live forever. Those tweets live forever, even if you delete them. I believe in them. Here's a fun scenario, by the way. If uh, and I believe in Norvell, like Norvell is mm-hmm. probably buying Billy Napier and Steve Sarkeesian more time than anything right now because of the way it's worked out for him. I I look at that September and they play LSU and Clemson both in September. Let's just say the worst were to happen. Let's say they lose both of them and they're two and two. Um, they go into their bye week two and two. I think people would totally write them off. And if you think about it, they would be entering the most workable stretch. Their final eight games. The toughest game is like at Pitt the rest of the way. Miami, if they're really good, Miami would be a tough game. Other than that, they'll be favored the rest of the way. They would be one ACC loss because LSU is out of conference. And the ACC did away with divisions so they could get another shot at Clemson if that is who they lost to. What if they go two and two to start the year? Then they run off eight in a row, just like last year. They end red hot. They're 10 and two. They go to the ACC title game. And they package that emotion up and that revenge angle up and they beat Clemson and they're 11 and two conference champs. And all of a sudden, everyone who wrote them off is asking, is it time to let a two loss team in the playoff? Like even that could happen. So even if the worst were to happen for them, it could still come together. So it's not a team to write off. Do not write them off if they don't start hot out of the gate. I'm talking to myself. (laughs) So so you're not writing them off. I appreciate that. But I mentioned before, Jordan Travis. I think he's going to end up winning the Heisman Trophy. I don't, I don't want to make you give a prediction on this show, but do you think – who are some of the other players that you think have a real shot at winning that coveted stiff-arm trophy this year? I mean, I, I agree with the odds. Like Caleb Williams, I agree with the odds. I will say if there's a dark horse out there, I think Xavier Worthy on the betting markets is criminally underrated. Because yeah. First off, people think a quarterback is always going to win with good reason. And – if it's not a quarterback, they would go, uh, I think Blake Corum's up there. Quinchon Judkins is up there for running backs. But Marvin Harrison is clearly the wide receiver who you yeah. would go to if you think a wide receiver is going to win it. And I got nothing against Harrison. But if you're telling me that Xavier Worthy has the 43rd best odds to win the Heisman Trophy, <laughs> and I, I know what a lot of his issues were last year, and I think they're corrected. And also, he's in a pretty stacked wide receiver room with the same guy in Steve Sarkeesian who once upon a time with a stacked receiver room still found a way to feed Devontae Smith over and over and over again. I just think it's worth a shot. That's all I'm saying. I think I think Texas is going to be really good. I think that offense will not hurt for offensive production. And I think Worthy is going to be a guy who explodes 
Like he was, he was a guy everyone knew in recruiting. But if you don't follow recruiting, you and you didn't watch that OU game as a true freshman, you may not know much about him. I think you will this year. Josh, this is an awesome, awesome interview. I love the Xavier Worthy pick. I might actually like go lay some dollars on that right now. But Josh, I really appreciate you taking the time out, man. I appreciate you having me, brother.